0: Good morning, and welcome to the bridge. Welcome, family. My name is Matt Stevens. I'm, uh, I'm not the regular teaching pastor. That's Heath Haynes. Um, in fact, one of five elders, uh, which includes Heath as one of the five. And um, so if you hate the sermon, please come back. They only let me preach about twice a year, so it'll be a while before you have to endure this again. But we've been preaching through Romans for the past year now, and I'm on chapter 10 today, verses 1 through 13. And um, throughout the entire thing, there's been this consistent theme of salvation, either by, by works, by the things that we do, versus salvation by faith, by what we believe, specifically faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And today is no different. I think Romans is probably the only book of the Bible where you could preach um, three times over the last year spaced out and have the same sermon each time. And so I'm, the, I'm fortunate in that regard. Just copy, paste, notes, preach again. Salvation versus works versus, versus salvation by faith. But uh, no, we're not actually going to do that. Exactly the same. Uh, In fact, we're in the middle of a three-chapter examination of the current state of the Jewish people. Paul has spent the first eight chapters of Romans defining the theological concepts of, of how one can be reconciled to God. And today we look specifically at, okay, well, if the Jewish people are the people of God, if they were given the law and all of the promises of God, then why is it that by and large the Jewish people don't believe in Jesus, the son of God? Paul's addressing the church, the Christian church in Rome, which has Jewish Christians in it, Jewish believers in Christ, and Gentile Christians um, who are not of the Jewish tradition. And so there's this major question between them, should we follow the, the old ways of the law given in the Old Testament and you know, and kind of, underlying this question is, well, the Jews by and large, w- they are the ones who murdered Jesus, the son of God. They by and large didn't accept Jesus. And so, um, so what, what do we do with that? How does that even make sense? And um, so we're going en- to answer two simple questions today in, in the context of, of the Jewish people that, That Paul is writing about, which is what does it mean to be saved and how is that accomplished? It's it's a simple word, saved. It's used a lot in English. There's there's no hidden meanings, it means delivered, rescued, also preserved and stored, though, like you're going to save some food in the refrigerator. Um, You can either be Doing the saving, like if I'm driving down 45 in rush hour, I know that if I exit on Pierce Elevated, I can like skirt around the traffic and save two minutes. And if you're riding with me, like you, you get that time, it's free. And because I've saved it for you, you're welcome. <laughs> like, you don't get to have that any other way, you just along for the ride. And so, I could be doing the saving, I could save a computer file um, for you for future use, and because Microsoft is evil, it can like delete that on you. And, but you need it, you need that file, and then somebody restores it for you, and uh, you know now you're saved. So you can be the recipient of the saving as well. Um, when I was maybe eight years old, I um, had to get the Heimlich maneuver performed on me due to bacon. And so I choked on a piece of bacon, and my dad, uh, I like, got up, started walking, like I'm going to go somewhere and couldn't say anything, so my dad just gives me the Heimlich Maneuver and comes out. he's like, are you okay? I'm like, I guess, and he just sits down and eats his breakfast, but I'm having this like little existential crisis, like, because, you know, when you're a kid you don't realize that, A, that people die and B, that maybe you could die and you, You're not guaranteed 80 years, you're not even guaranteed to make it out of childhood. And oh yeah, the cause could be bacon. And that is just cruel because bacon is so good. And how could something so good be so fatal? It's not the last little existential crisis I've had. We'll we'll cover some more later. But how about yourself? Have you ever been in a situation where you had no ability of self-rescue, no chance of rescuing yourself, we live in a pretty safe world, so um, fortunately, you might have to dig deep uh, to find an example, or you might not even have one. Um, I think the medical world is probably the closest uh, thing that we see. There's a lot of medical professionals and students um, in the room, and everybody knows someone whose life, at one point, hung in the balance of a, of a hi- really highly skilled doctor. and um, and also fortunately just billions of dollars of medical research, specifically like cancer here in Houston. I mean, people fly from all over the country to be saved by um, the professionals here and the research that goes on. And, um, it, you know, they're performing amazing things today that, that weren't possible. And so, in a very real way, like, you, just, you can't do that for yourself. You can't, like, open a medical book and perform surgery and save yourself in that regard. Um, also, something that we see every day, in fact, just last night I was driving home from Galveston and um, ca- the car crashes. I mean, every day there's actually like 500 car crashes in Houston, uh, fortunately only 50 of which involve serious injuries. But That's still a lot, and uh, tragically, um, every day two people lose their lives in, in vehicles, in, just in the Houston area. And I saw last night, you know, um, they got the fire trucks lined up across the highway, they got the whole thing closed down. You know it's not going to be good. And um, But uh, some, something kind of in you makes makes you look at this situation. Um, it draws you in because I think as humans, we just want to know what's the worst case scenario. And you you put yourself in the car like, that could be me. And I've got to know what's the worst that could happen so I can I can hopefully try to avoid it, but in these situations, um, I, ho- I hope it's never happened to you, but, you know, if you're unconscious in, that, on, in the car and the car is crumpled up, you know, they, they'll pull out like the jaws of life. You've seen this thing, this, the hydraulic shears, to cut you out of the car. And then you know, the helicopter will land on the highway, which they've shut down, you know, so you're not in danger and they have room to work. And they'll load you in the helicopter. They'll fly you to those same uh, facilities where they're curing cancer, almost. And they can put you back together in minutes. That's amazing. That's incredible. And you can't do that for yourself. And um, and th- and the news outlets are smart. They'll they'll give you the worst case scenario where the people didn't make it out and they didn't survive. And we like we're like peeking at this like like. You can't look away, like, like it's a horror movie, but you sort of have to look. and But then they'll also give you the story where the guy, beyond all odds, is saved, and there's hope there. And they know that if they give you both sides of that equation, then more people will watch, and that and that's, that's a good business model. Um, so you can't blame them for it. But really what they're giving you is the gospel, actually. It's, it's the good... Paul is going to lay out for us today the good news of Jesus Christ, how Jesus paid for us the penalty for our own sin which we had no hope of accomplishing and in so doing restored us to God the relationship that we were made for as his children. And um, he's going to invite us to surrender to, to God's way of salvation and recognize um, the hopelessness that we have in ourselves, but just the ultimate hope that we have in him. So let's read the passage, Romans 10, 1 through 3, all through, and then we'll pray. It says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, speaking of the Jews, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, um, we just stand humbly before you today, humbly underneath. Your word, your truth that you gave to us through the apostle Paul, and uh, we just ask that you would send your Holy Spirit just to open our hearts and our minds to behold the wonderful things that you have laid out for us to know about you, and and the way that you have made a way for us to be saved, to be made, um, to be made right in your eyes. God, would you send your spirit to do this, Lord? Please, we need you so much, Lord. I need you. Please speak through me, through your Holy Spirit. Let us hear your words. Amen. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer for them is that they may be saved. Paul's expressing the heart of God, which he began with a chapter ago when he told us that he wished he could be cursed and cut off from Christ if only the Jews would would come to faith, saving faith in Jesus. He's expressing the heart of God who sends his own son to be cut off from God to absorb our sins. And so this isn't like a rant against the Jews at all. It's not an accusation against them. It's a passionate plea on their behalf that Paul is laying out. What if our same heart, we had this same heart for our neighbors today? Our heart's desire is that they would be saved. I don't know that I do um, in full honesty, and I think the cause of that is, is kind of in a sinful way, I don't necessarily believe that they need to be saved which, which really just means that I don't believe that I need to be saved. Um, that's, that's not the truth um, but as we will see going forward but that is, that is kind of my natural state of not believing in the gospel um, naturally. And so we've got to remind ourselves of the gospel every day to remember what is true and what is right. And Paul's going to help us with that today. It's going to help me. Paul, in verse 2, he bears witness that they have a zeal for God. The Jewish people are passionate for the word of God as they understand it in the Old Testament. And Paul would know. This is like Steve Jobs telling you that, oh, you know, Dave, you're actually like a really good entrepreneur and, um, you know, and free thinker. And you'd be like, thanks, Steve, like coming from you, that, that really means something. Um, Paul would know he is the most zealous of, he was the most zealous of Jews to the point even where he would persecute and even kill Christians for what he saw as heresy. So it's like kind of a compliment, but, for you know, but they have a zeal for God, but that pivot word in, in Scripture, not according to knowledge. for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking and establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So the key word here is submit. Similar to Paul, Paul was forced to submit to the righteousness of God. He had a vision on, he was on his way to a place called Damascus to persecute more Christians and a vision of the resurrected Jesus came to him, and Jesus spoke to him in words and said, um, hypoth- you know, in paraphrasing, it's pretty tough for you to fight against me. Um, from now on, you're mine, and you will, you will, you will do my will, and um, also, by the way, you're blind now, and off you go. And the w- and Paul was wrecked by the, the glory of the resurrected Jesus, and he was forced to submit to that. And his entire, the rest of his life was different, and the will of Jesus for his life was that he would bring the gospel to the Gentiles, the people who were not Jewish, and um, he would do that for the rest of his life, and he would ultimately give his life for the gospel. Um, he was forced to submit. Have Have we submitted? Have we submitted like Paul? If Paul was writing this letter about us, would he say, would he say, um, like Geo, like Geo has submitted to the righteousness of God? And that's just a question that is, is troubling for all of us because we all see examples of how we have not submitted. And this is the opportunity today. Um, the law, uh, quickly, uh, defined the law is the 600-odd commands in the Old Testament that Moses lays out for his people. And, um, and the, the righteousness of God really just means right standing before God. And we spend a lot of time unpacking those words in uh, the sermons on Romans chapter 3 and uh, Romans uh, chapter 7. Those are, those are all saved online, so I won't, I won't go over them again. We'll be here for all day long. We'll go on instead to um, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And when he says the end, it's not like the law was plan A for salvation and it failed, so we've got to scrub the board and start again, and we'll do this new thing called Jesus. Um, it means end like the law, the, Christ is the destination. Of the law. The law was always designed to lead us to Christ and now that we are at Christ um, then then he, he is the way and it's like but it but it's hard to switch like that it's hard to pivot for 1500 years the Jews have been following the law as God has laid out and then you get you get to this kind of stumbling block, which last week Heath was speaking on, which is Jesus. And it's hard just to shift course and say, okay, yeah, well, the last 15 centuries we were doing this and now we're going to follow Jesus. um, You know, have you ever been like driving and the road's been shut down Um, but you couldn't see anything wrong, so you kind of moved the barrier and drove around it to keep going. I did that, like, um, you know, after Harvey, they shut down all the running paths on Allen Parkway, and they blocked them off, and so, but, like, this is my path, and I want to go running, so I, like, move the barrier and keep going, and then only to find out that, oh, yeah, there actually was a reason why the barrier was there because half of the path, like, underneath the concrete is eroded away and just hangs over the chasm into the Buffalo Bayou. And so uh, that's kind of where we are. The stumbling block is there for a reason. It's meant to trip you up and get you to look another way. And um, the, the, the law is the path that brought you there. And it's good and has purpose because you were made to be there. But you're also made to look at what, is what God is doing. And so the Jews are like, by and large, like I'm sure Jesus is a good teacher. So maybe he's even a prophet, and maybe he did heal those people. He might even be the son of God. But we really just need to get back on this path of the law. Like that's what we were made to do, and um, and that that's a hard thing. But Paul Paul is going to identify with them. He's gonna he's gonna connect with them. He's gonna say in verse five, Yeah, you know what? For Moses did write about the righteousness that is based on the law like you know he did the per and he said the person who does the commandments shall live by them paul is identifying with the jewish people and, and connecting with them he's not trashing on them not by any means and he and he um is Referring to Leviticus 18.5 here, which which says, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. And so the Jews are not wrong to be pursuing the law necessarily. Um, But here's this word again in verse 6. But the transition. He's going to quote Moses again in Deuteronomy, and he's going to say, but the righteousness of based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. And then in parentheses, Paul's going to interject his own interpretation of that passage. He says that means don't, uh, who will ascend into heaven, that means bring, bringing Christ down from heaven, who's like physically going to reach up and bring Christ down on their own behalf. Or who will descend into the abyss that is, Paul's words, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? Deuteronomy again. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. Paul's words, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. This is a tricky interpretation. and There's a couple of options to go with as to what this means. Because, here, Paul is quoting Moses, the same guy who just wrote, he who follows the law will live. And now he's saying, like, oh, it's actually, it's actually about faith. It's not about works. It's about faith using the same author, using Moses. And so two options. Option one, that Moses all along was not talking about f- salvation by following the law. He was actually talking about salvation by faith in Christ. That's option one. Pretty intriguing, seeing as you know Moses was 1,500 years before Christ. Um, but let's go to the actual passage in Deuteronomy and read that and, and, and see if we can sort of sort it out what Moses is actually talking about. Deuteronomy 30:11, it'll be on the screen. For this is the commandment that I command to you today. It's not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven to us and bring it to us that we might hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we might hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your heart. In your mouth and in your heart, so that you should, you can do it. And at the service level, it kind of sounds like, oh, he's giving them a pep talk. He's telling them, yeah, you can do the law. It's not too hard for you. You'll be okay. You can do it. And a lot of the Jews took that interpretation and set about to do just that. Uh, but if you look closer a little bit, um, ascending to heaven in the immediate context of what he's talking about is when Moses walked up Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, to receive the law from God. And across the sea means crossing the Red Sea as the people of Israel were fleeing Egypt and their army who was threatening to overtake them. You know, um, God parted the Red Sea so they could walk along the bottom and escape. And so um, if you look at both cases and think about them for a second, The Jews, or Moses even, didn't accomplish either of those things. It was God who gave the Ten Commandments. It was God who parted the Red Sea and delivered them from death. God who provided life, God who saved from death. And so really, what Moses is talking about is the faithfulness of God. And so while he might not be talking specifically about faith in Christ, he is specifically talking about the faithfulness of God, which provided the law, which led to Christ. And so that's that's the second option which fits maybe a little bit better with the immediate context. And so and so Paul Paul didn't get it wrong. He he's he's interpreting the passage in light of the advent of Christ, which which the, the life-bringing law led us to. And so um, so we see that it is God's will that his children would be saved by faith. And that was true for the Jews as well as it is for now. And in chapter four, um, Paul writes about Abraham. It says, he says that um, Abraham was saved by faith. He believed in God before he followed any law. He was saved by faith. And, but God in his mercy only gives us what we can handle at the time. And he gave the Jews the law for them to follow. And he gave them an earthly nation and an earthly king which they desire to protect them and they put their faith in that and they put their faith in the law and they ultimately they ultimately over the next 1500 years failed to achieve their own righteousness by those means and in doing so they proved in a way through for for all time that it is impossible to achieve your own righteousness through your own works because they were given every advantage and they couldn't do it. If they couldn't do it, nobody can do it. And so that sounds pretty rough that God would give them what they wanted even though he knew it led to their failure, even though it led them to this time where that Paul is talking about where virtually none of them believe in the Son of God. And... Um, last last week Heath was reading about like the pot. If you're if you're a pot and you were created for a specific purpose, you don't get to you don't get to criticize the guy who made you for that purpose. You were made for that purpose and and that's just that's just the way it is. And that sounds really, really rough in this context, but just wait for the next chapter. There is hope specifically for Israel that's beyond like any comprehension. And so I won't spoil it but Please come back for chapter 11. Um, Paul admonishes us, don't reach for heaven. Do not reach for, for perfection through your own achievement. You will not reach it. In what ways are we reaching for heaven? Through our own efforts. Don't strive to conquer death. You will not, you will not be able to part the Red Sea on your own that is the realm of god but we spend we spend our whole lives either running from death or pursuing heaven by our by our effort and that's that's a tough place to be that's a tough place to be because only god can do those things more on that later i won't spoil it i'm getting ahead of myself the sea, this reference to the sea, I love. I was a, I was a merchant mariner in my first career, um, so I sailed on an oil tanker. And um, fun fact about crossing the sea in uh, 1500 B.C. is that uh, no one was doing it. It was, it was technically I- and spiritually impossible. And so when Moses says something like, oh, yeah, you don't have to cross the sea, like for us it's like, okay, yeah, you don't have to get on a plane and fly across the Atlantic it's no big deal long trip, but, you no. Know, what Paul's talking about is certain death. He's talking about certain death, and that's why Paul, uh, sorry, Mo- yeah, Moses says crossing the sea. Paul says don't enter the abyss because the sea, the abyss means, like, without bottom, right, and so in, in many um, systems of faith, including Egyptian, like, there's this concept of underworld, right, and the sea, you know, they had no way of knowing that there actually was a bottom. They, could, they, could, they had something called a lead line, which you could, s- you could see, put a weight on a string down and see how deep it was. But it only worked to like a few hundred feet, and the Mediterranean Sea is thousands of feet deep. So they had no way of knowing that there actually was a bottom. And so there was this thought that maybe it's just a chasmless pit, an opening to the underworld where there's death. And so that's a terrifying thing spiritually and you're going to get on a boat made of reeds tied together with grass and cross over that No they were they were sailing along the coastline of the Mediterranean within like, sight of land and there were some civilizations. and like the Minoan civilization was just from Crete just starting to cross um, but this was something that was like technically and spiritually not done and so it's a different context than what we have today and it, the sea hasn't changed at all today. It's, it's you know, we've, we've built some incredible structures, these ships made of steel. You've seen a cruise ship maybe in Galveston that's the size of a city, and it makes crossing the sea a lot more predictable. But still, like, the this, this sea is the same. Heath was telling me this story that he was on a cruise ship, and he found himself alone on the back rail peering over into the ocean and watching the water just disappear into the blackness. And like, you know, if you're ever afraid of heights, like, like you're standing, peering into the abyss and you have this feeling like, what if I fell? And like the horror of that, um, you know, I worked at, at sea for a couple of years and I felt, I immediately identified with that story. Like I would not go within arm's reach of the rail. Of the ship, um, if I was alone, for that very reason. And it's, you know, because if you fall over, like you're not going to die right away. You probably have a few hours, but they're not, they're not going to find you. Like you're gone. Then you, unless somebody sees you go over, and immediately turns the ship around, you will, like your head will. This much of you will be showing. You've got to be within like a hundred yards to see that, and they won't, they won't ever get that close. You're not going to make it. And so it might, it is the, it's still the abyss. And um, and I just kind of want you to feel that, because if, and to be perfectly honest with you, it's, I wasn't actually afraid that I was going to fall over the rail. It's like a four-foot rail. You would have to really, really, like, climb over it. And that, that's, that's kind of the problem, if I'm being honest. like It's like when you're there and you're staring into your own death, At least for me, I don't know if this happens for you. Maybe, like, I just have a really affirmation. But I feel like, I feel like just Satan is telling me, like, hey, you know, you're kind of the master of your own life. And um, you've got nothing on this. You've got nothing on death. But I do. And um, you could, too. If, um, you know, you can't beat it necessarily, but you could choose it. That's, um, you have that power over your life. You have the power of life and death. You have the power of good and evil. You could choose. And I I think it has to be Satan because I just can't reconcile that with anything else that I know to be true about myself. You know, I'm, I've never had a, a suicidal tendency, and, and I don't. I, like, recoil from that in horror. I think that's part of the horror that, that I felt that, you know, kept me away from the rail. It's like, like, like no, like, that's, that's not what I, I was made for. Like, but it's just so unsettling to hear that. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, if you've ever s- stood on top of a tall building and felt the same thing, I think it's, you know, I'll tell you the one that really got me. is that uh, I got out of work one day in the parking garage, and Lori had picked up Everett, and she was showing him... The cars over the edge of the rail because he wanted to see the cars, and I saw this, and like it, that that voice is just instead it what it says this time is you're the master of his life, and um, like I'm just horrified, and I'm like Lori, f- put him in the car, like strap him up. Let's go, and uh, she's like, "She's like, you seem upset. Like, uh, you know that I had him. I, I would never let that happen. I don't think she struggles with this. I, you know, which is great. Um, she's maybe just much more solid than I am. But I'm like, I know you had him, but, but I didn't. And so, in what ways are we ruled by the horror of the abyss? The chasm leading to the underworld, a certain death. In what ways are we like running from death, chasing heaven, trying to be God? The irony is that we were made to be like him. We were made to reflect him like like a mirror reflects the sun. It was just, it was never to be on our own terms. It was always to be on his. Moses continues in Deuteronomy. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Choose me, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life. He is the length of your days that you might dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them. He is your life. What does it mean to be saved? It means that God did not just provide us with life and then give us a road map to maintain it, but that he actually is our life. The land that we're promised to dwell in isn't Israel, but it is heaven with God, restored. And staring into your own death, you feel the chasm between ourselves and, and God and, like, the farce of, of, of achieving it on your own effort or avoiding death on your own effort just comes crashing down. I think that's just what bothers me about, the, about heights. And uh, God is saying, like, you were not made for either of those things. Don't reach for heaven. Do not reach for the, into the abyss. You were not made for that. I have done it for you already. I have sent Jesus from heaven. I have sent him into the abyss, and he is risen. That's what it means to be saved. And how is it accomplished? Paul's will, Paul will tell us. The word is near you. In verse 9, because if you confess two things, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe, number two, in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For your heart, you believe and you're justified. We def- we def- it's a legal term meaning like being made righteous before God. We define it uh, back in chapter seven and chapter three. With your heart, you believe and is justified. And with your mouth, you confess and are saved. And so we got two things. Verbal confession of Jesus, that Jesus came down from heaven. Verbal confession with ourselves here today. And also, I think, verbal confession publicly with your neighbor. And um, whoever God has put, who has God put in your life for you to confess publicly that Jesus came down from heaven? That's the question for today. That's That's the application where we're going. We'll come back to that. And also, uh, believe in your heart. Where am I? Yeah, that he conquered death. Believe in your heart that he did what we could not do, that we were not made to do, so that you could be restored as his children. This is good news. This is good news that was made to be shared. Verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone, for everyone who believes will not be put to shame. Trust him. a 100% confidence here. Trust him. Where does our hope lie? Where does our hope lie? You know, whether this is the first time you've ever heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus, or if you've heard it a thousand times, every single one of us would have to admit that our faith, in a very large part, lies with ourselves. Um... That's the reality. And so um, let us just, let us look, let us seek out ways to, to remind ourselves of the gospel, to, to hear the gospel preached again and again, that it is God alone who is deserving of faith and our trust. Because where we are is trapped inside, the burning wreckage which used to be the car driving down the highway, unconscious and unable to extract ourselves from our own self-belief. If you had the jaws of life, would you cut your neighbor out from that car? Would you load them onto the helicopter and fly them to some of the best ERs in the country? If you have heard the gospel, even one time today, even if this was the very first time, you hold the jaws of life in your hands, and you are fully equipped to pull, to pull your neighbor out of the burning wreckage of their own self-faith, the vain hope that they can save themselves, um, the same place where the Jews were at that time. You can preach the gospel, and um, so I'd I'd ask you even as we as we c- come to close, who is that person? Who has God given you even this week for you to develop a relation with a, a relationship with to the point where you can share the deepest and most meaningful things about yourselves, and um, that you could share life with them. You could share the good news of Jesus. Paul's going to close us. There's no distinction in verse 12. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And here's the most amazing verse, quoting the prophet Joel. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All. All who call on him, no distinction, no division between people. This applies today. There's a lot of lines being drawn between people, a lot of barriers, and um, none of those are real. Um, The gospel permeates all of them, and you, having heard the gospel, can reach through that. You, holding the jaws of life, have 100% hope, 100% assurance, no horror, no fear of death, failure, but eternal life, embraced by infinite love, above you, below you, inside of you. So let us repent now. Let us repent of self-righteousness. Let us submit to God's way of salvation, confessing verbally that he alone sent Christ from heaven, that he alone conquer death and be saved now and forever. Amen.